if they had said it once, they had said it a hundred times. Remember this mantra that mom and dad always had, never throw balls inside the house. And it seemed like a pretty solid and pretty reasonable rule. But I found myself meditating on that rule one particular evening, not just because of the goodness of that rule, not just because it was a great thing to follow, but because I had broken it. And in particular, I had broken it in a very specific way, because I had deemed it necessary to throw a ball that night at one of my brothers who happened to dodge the ball. And then the ball sailed toward the nearest window, which it promptly broke. And then all of a sudden, I found myself with a problem that all of a sudden I was filled with that remorse that I had broken the rule and that I had indeed thrown the ball in the house. But I had also done something else, and that was going to require me to go to my father and ask for his forgiveness. And so I was filled with dread because I automatically assumed that my dad was going to come down on me like a ton of bricks, and rightly so, that he was going to give me some sort of punishment for what I had done. And I was significantly surprised whenever I approached my father. To be clear, he was upset, he was disappointed that I had broken one of the rules, and yet he was still filled with compassion and mercy and gave, forgave me nonetheless. And that was something that was significant, and I still remember it to this day, that it felt like he should have given me so far much more than I really deserved that night, that he should have really given me everything that I deserved, in fact, and some sort of punishment, but he didn't. He gave his forgiveness instead. Now, many of us, maybe we haven't broken windows, or maybe it wasn't necessarily our father's rule that we broke, but many of us have transgressed against one another, and that we've experienced those moments out of weakness, that we broke some sort of rule or maybe some sort of law. And perhaps it was even against God, our Father. But whenever we do those things, whenever we create those infractions against our Father, how many of us see our God as a God of mercy and God of compassion? So often we can get this idea that God is out there and he's lording over us and he wants this sort of tyrannical rule or that he wants to, to see those moments whenever we trip and fall so that he can punish us severely. But maybe there's more to God than just that. If we start off with the book of Exodus this morning, we actually see a very powerful image and one that might seem to reaffirm, at least initially, this idea that God is looking for infraction, that he's simply looking for us to mess up so that he can punish us severely for those moments. And so what do we see happen? Well, we see this moment that all of a sudden, right after the Israelites have been led out of captivity to the Egyptians, they've been led to this place of freedom by God their Father that all of a sudden they find themselves turning away. That Moses is up on the mountain conversing with God, and all of a sudden God switches tone. He says, go down to that people that we've just led from slavery because they have become depraved. They've created a false god. They've committed themselves to idolatry, and they've all of a sudden attributed to that God that he has led them out of slavery. And it almost seems like God doubles back, and he has a better idea. God says, no, let me alone. Let me have my anger. Let me really boil up my wrath so that I can go down and consume them, and then I'm going to create a new people. But what does Moses do in response? It's rather unexpected, isn't it? That we see Moses going before God, this almighty Father who has the ability to consume this entire people and wipe them off the face of the earth. He says, why would you do that after everything that you've done? that you've led them out of captivity, that you've brought them forward into this land, that you've created a great nation as you promised to Abraham and Isaac and all of his descendants, why not have mercy on them instead? 
And we're told about this beautiful moment where the Lord relents of that punishment and decides to forgive his people. And it's a beautiful moment, and we'll actually come back to why that matters in just a moment. But then we move on to St. Paul in his letter to Timothy, and here we can actually appreciate what St. Paul is doing because he's not only speaking about the things that God has done in a sort of theological abstract way, but he's speaking very specifically about what God has done in his own life, the ways that God has touched him specifically and personally. And what is that in a specific and personal way? Well, St. Paul goes into those places of weakness, those areas where God has chosen to forgive him of his sins, of his infractions, of those different places where he went wrong, the ways that he blasphemed, the ways that he persecuted Christians, even when he thought he was doing the right thing. And he asked God for forgiveness. And even in that moment, that God decided to manifest his greatness, specifically in the life of St. Paul, because he saw the need to forgive him, that he wanted to do something great and show that he's not a God just of justice, but a God of mercy as well. And so in St. Paul's life, he enters in, that he gives him that moment of conversion, and all of a sudden, St. Paul has changed for the better. And it's not just for St. Paul's life either but it's for all of those Christians as well, that they need to understand that this mercy and this forgiveness isn't just for St. Paul exclusively, but it's for everyone that the Lord calls his son and his daughter. And that's what St. Paul wants to remind in his letter to Timothy, that he wants to give that specific reminder of what the Lord is doing and how beautiful it truly is. Then finally we arrive at the Gospel of Luke, and here we get three different images of what the Lord's forgiveness looks like, even though they might seem a little bit different in their nature. So we start off that Jesus asks the scribes and the Pharisees about shepherding. He starts off, which of you having a hundred sheep and realizing that you've lost one would not leave the ninety-nine to the side and go in search of that one? And then when you find that one sheep, you're going to call together your friends and your neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. If that isn't enough, try another parable. How about a woman who has ten coins and she loses one? Would she not light a lamp and go searching and sweeping the entire house looking for that one coin? And whenever she finds it, she's so filled with joy that she calls to her neighbors and her friends and brings them to rejoice with her because she's found that one lost coin. But maybe that isn't powerful enough. Maybe we need a heartwarming story about the prodigal son. And we all probably know this story very well, that there was the son that demanded his inheritance of the father, and then the father gives it to him, and he goes out and he squanders it in a foreign land. Now, this just isn't like a location, but this is actually something spiritual, that all of a sudden he leaves the father's presence, he leaves the father's principles and everything that the father has taught him, and simply wants to go live on his own terms somewhere else. And as he does that, eventually he runs out. He hits rock bottom. He reaches that point of total and utter depravity where he knows that he has done something significantly wrong and that he needs to return to the Father. He's sitting there in the midst of his plight trying to make something good out of it, but he realizes that even if he seeks a humble position with God his Father and simply his Father in the story, then all of a sudden he will at least be in a better off place. So he doesn't presume his old position, but he presumes something much less. So he approaches the father and he asks for that position of a hired servant. And what does the father do? 
That whenever he sees his son returning, he not only gives him the position of a hired servant, but in fact gives him his sonship back in return, even though he might not have deserved it. That he's so filled with compassion that he in fact wants to give to that son that place again. And it's such a radical thing that even that older son is just so filled with bitter jealousy because he sees what God is doing. And yet we see the profound moment that that son that was lost has been found. But as we consider that, isn't it all a little bit absurd? Because if we think about it, that shepherd that leaves the 99 perfectly good sheep over here and goes searching after the one over there, doesn't that seem a little bit unreasonable? Or whenever that woman goes after that one coin and leaves the nine to the side and all of a sudden throws a party, perhaps consuming that one coin, doesn't that seem a bit odd? Or whenever we have that prodigal son, that we see the father still welcoming that son back, even whenever he throws him to the side, doesn't that seem really unreasonable as well? Perhaps it does. But there's something profound here. Because the matter is that we're that lost sheep. We're that lost coin. We're the prodigal son and daughter that needs to approach God and ask for his mercy and his forgiveness. That in fact, it is unreasonable. It is something that seems absurd, at least on the surface. And yet our God does that nonetheless. But it invites us in to consider our relationship with him in a fundamental way. Because let's go back to the book of Exodus for just a moment. It might seem that God is that vengeant tyrant, that he's looking for the ways to oppress the people under him or to punish them severely for what they've done. He's looking for a reason to wipe the Israelites completely off the face of the earth and that Moses is the only one that stops him. But maybe there's more to the story. Maybe God, in fact, is wanting to forgive the Israelites, and he gives Moses this beautiful opportunity to be an instrument of that mercy, to ask for God's forgiveness on behalf of the entire people. Because it's a beautiful moment, and it's one that we really see Moses being bold. Because God truly could have made out of Moses a great nation again. That he could have totally turned away from that people and started another. And this is perhaps Moses' greatest work in everything that he's done up to this point. That he still asks for forgiveness for, from God for his people anyway. And that's truly something substantial because it gives us an insight to God's heart. That he's not some sort of tyrant, he's not a leader for, or a ruler from on high, but in fact he is a father. That he is filled with compassion, that he is filled with mercy, and he's looking for opportunities to give that to each and every one of us. That he isn't withholding it or he isn't looking for reasons to trip us up, but rather he's looking for that ability to give us in abundance out of his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. But there's something else here too. That if we go to St. Paul in his letter to Timothy, we see Timothy not necessarily boasting, but rather telling about the ways that God has forgiven him in a specific way. But this tells us something fundamental in our relationship with God as well. That sin does matter. Sin affects our relationship in a very dramatic way. That even if we look at back at the Israelites, or we look at St. Paul and his own fault, or we even look at the prodigal son, we know that each and every one of those stories have a point of fault. That they have something that do is done wrong. That they have someone that's basically thrown a ball in the house. That they have that moment where something has gone wrong. That there's been a transgression that's taken place. So sin does matter. That it does affect our relationship with God. But we're not tied to that. And that's really where God's forgiveness and God's mercy comes into play. 
Because if we look back at the gospel, we're seeing Jesus encountering the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's giving them these three different stories, not just simply to tell the story of his mercy, but to tell that we're all sinners. That in fact, there aren't really 99 sheep over here. There aren't just nine coins, and there isn't even a just older son. But in fact, each and every one of us struggle with following God in some way, or at least I know that I do. And that's really where the invitation lies for each one of us as we consider these readings. Because we do have a merciful Father. We know that sin matters, but we know that we need to approach God our Father to receive His mercy and His forgiveness. But that comes to us in concrete ways. And that's really a consideration for all of us. And even if we look back at that story about the prodigal son, there is a fundamental point whenever that son realizes that he's gone away from the father, that he's in a foreign land, that he's in a place that he does not recognize. And he turns back. And what a beautiful moment that is. Because the reality is each and every one of us have that moment where we can turn back to the Father. That we have a moment where we start that sort of journey back to him and we want to ask for his mercy and forgiveness. And this in a very beautiful way happens to us in the sacrament of reconciliation. That very moment when we decide in our mind, in our hearts, in our souls that we need to return to the Father, we need to go partake of his mercy and forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation, that's our journey home. We do the same exact thing, and we do it in a sacramental way. But it's important for us to realize that God does want to give us his mercy. He wants to give us that compassion. He wants to lavish that upon us in his love. We have to be willing to reach out and ask for it first. We have to make that journey home. He's not simply holding on to us, grabbing our cloak, and not letting us leave and go to that place that we think might be better, but in fact is not. But he waits for us to turn back around and decide that maybe following the Lord is the better idea. It's the better way and better place. And that's really the challenge, brothers and sisters. Because I know that I myself struggle in so many ways to follow the Lord in a way. That I find myself out in that particular deserted place, far away from home. And that I have to make that return myself. And maybe many of us are in the same place. That we find ways that we need to return to God our Father as well. But we need not be afraid. We need not treat him as so, some sort of tyrant or some sort of lawgiver that rules from on high. Or we don't need to fear that he's going to come down on us like a ton of bricks or really give us a punishment that is utterly severe. But we rather need to look to God our Father and see the ways that he deals with us in love. He truly does want to forgive our sins. He wants to forgive our failings, even as we recognize them and bring them to the foot of the cross. But in that action, we know that we'll be welcomed home into the arms of Father, who dearly loves his children very much. It's not simply about being sheep. It's not simply about being a lost coin, or even a prodigal son or daughter, but really seeing God for the forgiving God that he is, and receiving out of the abundance of what he wants to give us. And so that simple and beautiful responsorial psalm that we're given, I will rise and go to my Father. We should have that same courage and that same ability to approach God because he loves each one of us in that particular and beautiful way, that he even wants to forgive and overlook our sins. We simply have to have the courage to approach in a new way. That we've all broken a few windows. We've all thrown balls in the house or done something very similar or maybe even something much worse. Those things don't matter. What rather matters is that we approach to God our Father and seek after his mercy and forgiveness, that mercy and forgiveness that he truly wants to give to each one of us. 
So my brothers and sisters, let's be filled with that courage to know that God our Father loves us tremendously. But let's be filled with that courage to approach and ask for forgiveness, that courage that we so desire and that forgiveness that we so need.